The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Ben's with Bubba, Bubba in the Batflip 22 third base position preview. A couple things. Give a rating review on iTunes. You can be one of the last members to join the Benched with Bubba Fantasy Baseball Listeners League. It's almost filled up with names. I'm creating the league this week. We'll get everybody signed up and going in there so we can set a draft day down the road. Uh, if we get more than 15 teams, we'll start a second league. So it's as simple as that. Come join the Benched with Bubba Listener League. Go give a rating review for that. Also, go check out the Fantasy Black Book. I did the catchers and relief pitcher previews. Lots of great content. Lots of great writers in the book. It's on Amazon, iTunes. Great way to start your fantasy baseball draft prep. Also, if you have any um, topics or players you want discussed coming up, throw those in your ratings and reviews because we've got a lot of great uh, guys talking to to line up for the next month or so to get you ready for your draft prep. So fire those um, questions my direction or topics or just things you're interested in, and we will get to those for you. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Bubba and the Bat Flip, Episode 22, your fantasy baseball third base preview. to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 22, your fantasy baseball third base preview. Going to take you to the hot corner, go over some guys we've talked about already, and, and much, much more and listener questions, the usual, on your positional preview. You can find me on Twitter, at BDintrick, and my co-host, as always, Bat Flip himself on Twitter, at Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, how we doing, my friend? We are doing great, Bubba. It is officially baseball season now that the Super Bowl is is done and there's just been an incredible amount of awesome content that's being put out there right now it makes me a little nervous you know we got to start we we, we're uh our game is already really high we got to just bump it up another level to keep up with all these amazing uh people putting out content like prospects um prospect live they had their top 100 the athletic put out a bunch of great stuff 
so just a, a really fun time to be a fantasy baseball fan. And yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Pitcher list 5.0 drops on uh, Tuesday. Yeah. So by the time people start listening to this, the new pitcher list will be out. Lots of awesome stuff. That's what's great about the community. We've got the TGFBI lineups. Yeah. I think, was it 23 leagues, 25 leagues, 390 players or something like that. It's crazy. Crazy yeah. amount of analysts. Yeah. How did, your, cool. how did your team end up? It's going to be interesting because like, Yancey Eaton and I have been texting a lot because we're in a, an NFBC qualifier thing together. Mm. And that's how I found out my leagues because I wake up to a text from Yancey with a picture of my league. And um, <laughs> so I'm looking at it. And I'm sitting there going, this is crazy because there's so many people I don't know. And yeah. that's like a good thing. That's the beauty of TGFBI is we get to kind of meet a bunch of new people. But like as this keeps expanding, it started out so kind of small where you kind of knew everybody. Now there's so many new faces in the room that it's going to be fun to, uh, to see how it goes. And I've seen I – look, I looked over – I haven't looked over every league. But a lot of leagues I looked at, there's a lot of new faces out there that's really cool and – if any of you guys are listening and you want, you know, interact with myself, I'll gladly follow. Just let me know who you are and uh, get to know you guys. But it's really cool to see all the new faces involved in TGFBI, and that's thanks to the great Justin Mason. So that's that's a lot of good stuff. Absolutely, a big a big kudos to him for sure. Yeah, but uh, we, we can tell him that on Saturday at the Barf Draft. So that'll be I a, know a big time. One. Yep, live in San Francisco. So that should oh, be yeah. a doozy. But without further ado. Let's talk about the third base position. Like I said, there's a handful of guys that have some multi-position eligibility that we've talked about already. And it starts off with this, the first guy, number one overall at third base. We're using the NFPC online ADP from January 15th till now. Um, Alex Bregman, still the first third baseman off the board, roughly pick 14, which is dropping down from him. He's got his highest pick six, as low as 19. So some people are taking the trash cans into effect. We don't know. But uh, we, we talked about him at the shortstop position. What's your thoughts real quick on uh, Bregman? Yeah, we did talk a little bit about him. I, since then, the ATC projection for him has come out. Um, so that has him valued as a $25 player, uh, 289, 110 runs, 33 home runs, 105 RBI, and six stolen bases. At his ADP, that's about a $30 uh, draft pick. So you're losing about $5 worth of value in Bregman. I think, you know, we discussed it already, but I think the big thing with Bregman is if you get him here, you know, you're missing out on speed um, and some really good guys, including Jose Ramirez, who we're going to talk a little bit about. And so I, ha- I haven't been in on Bregman at all. If the price keeps dropping potentially just because he's, he's just a counting stats monster, but I just think where he's going right now, he doesn't quite provide that elite batting average or, or the speed that you need. On the speed, I do think that with Dusty Baker being the manager of the Astros, there is there is a little bit of a possibility that the stolen bases could go up. Um, Baker's teams have stolen a lot of bases, although it's always hard to parse that out and figure out how much is Baker versus how much is the players that he has. Um, but if that were to be the case, um, he does have a 77% uh, stolen base success rate in his career. So it's not that he's a bad stolen base guy. Uh, Bregman and he did have I think 17 um, in one season so uh, that would be super helpful but it's hard to know that ahead of time so I don't like I don't love the value where he's going right now but again the skills are incredibly elite just from like a play discipline contact perspective hard hit rate and I think a lot of people are projecting a, a significant decrease in home runs and while I wouldn't project him for 41 certainly um, like he had last year I do think that he is one of the few guys who year in year out 
can pull fly balls in the air and as a result is going to do better than a lot of the stat cast base expected home runs metrics say that he will. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Like we, we mentioned before, there's going to be some regression in place because what he did last year is MVP caliber, regardless of what you believe the help was or not. But uh, like you said, the projections, and so what we talked about before is what he did in 2018 with 31 homers, 286, uh, 105, 103, and 10. That's much more what I would expect from him. And that's still a 246 ISO and a 156 WRC+. plus. That's like outstanding production still. And, and we keep saying it time and time again, OBP leagues is beast. 423, 394, 352 the last three seasons as a regular everyday player for the Houston Astros. Uh, OBP formats, I'd be much, much more happy taking him at this point in the draft. But it kind of goes back to what you've been saying of late uh, on recent shows. When we look at this point in the draft, we're looking for some uh, stolen base upside. And sure, he might run more like you said, but, you know, you got J-Ram, you got Trey Turner, you got these other guys at the back of the draft. I want to give me some of that. Maybe uh, maybe a Verlander or a Scherzer falls to you at the back end. Depending on how you want to build things out, there's options there. Not that Bregman's a bad pick. I'm just not sure that's where I'm going at the third base position, kind of like what you were uh, saying as well. The second third baseman off the board, the one, the only, and for now, a Colorado Rocky. We'll see how that keeps panning out. But Nolan Arenado going about pick 17 overall, three picks after Briggs, as high as 12, as low as 20. Um, he keeps getting it done time and time again. People say it's the Coors effect. They don't count the fact he's just a darn good baseball player. But what's your take on Nolan Arenado? Yeah, I mean, Arenado is interesting. I mean, I think it, it, this year is a little bit different just because of the prospects of him getting traded outside of Coors. And it isn't necessarily that I think that he'll be bad outside of Coors. I think he's a great player either way. I mean, when you look at some of the um, when you look at some of the metrics, I mean, his pay rate, you know, was 14% last year, walks at a decent clip, you know, hits the ball relatively hard. Um, although his stat cast metrics aren't great, but I think we often see that from a lot of the hitters in, in Colorado. But, you know, you kind of got to bake in the risk that he does get traded out of Coors. And while he'll remain a good player, I think of him, you know, outside of Coors as not being nearly as special as he has been um, inside of Coors. And so I think a little bit of a dip in batting average, a little bit of a dip in home runs and just overall uh, production. And I think that'll drop, that'd drop him a decent amount for me. And so I, it's interesting to think about how you bake in risk. Uh, right now with his ATC projection of 298 with 100 runs, 38 home runs, 114 RBI and three stolen bases, it's about a $29 um, production and about a $29 cost at an ADP of 16. So you're kind of breaking even at that point, which is really nice at this point in the draft. But again, the question I think for fantasy owners, because I don't see any any skill dip really for Arenado, the question really is how do you bake in the risk associated with him moving out of cores and what that might be might do to his uh, his overall line. So um, yeah, I mean, but and, and it's also a similar situation to Bregman, right, where you're not necessarily getting speed, like you're getting the elite batting average, but you aren't necessarily getting the speed with Arenado. And if if he's not in cores, are you still going to get that elite? Uh, batting average, I'm not. I'm not so sure. So I think there's too many questions for me to take Arenado even at this spot right here. I don't know how. How do you feel about him heading into uh, 2020? Yeah, it's kind of how I'm feeling with you. Is I really, really like Arenado as a player. I think he's a very, very good player. The lack of steals. It, it, I know it's something we just keep saying over and over again through all these preview pods, but it's a big deal to us, at least to myself, and it seems like to you as well for the most part. For the early bats, you want to get that good stolen base forward. 
I'm not opposed to taking an Arenado. Like I like guys like JD Martinez, who I know is not going to steal a lot. It just means you're going to be more aggressive on like the Johnny BR types, the Adamantino Mondesi types, the types that maybe have a little more fluctuation to them instead of going after the Ramirez's and company we've talked about. Um, still a very good player. There, there are questions, like you said, about um, if he leaves Coors. See, I think he's a, still a very, very good hitter. But outside of Coors, maybe he's more of an Anthony Rendon, which is very, very good. But that's obviously going uh, quite a few picks later. That's going or it's about five or it's the end, the middle to end of the second round instead of the beginning of the second round. And that's a big difference uh, when you start penciling things out, so on and so forth. So I like Arenado. I'm just not in love with Arenado. Um, if I knew for certain he'd be in uh, Colorado all year, I'd probably be a bigger fan because it is hard to put away, you know, almost locking in 40 home runs, a 300 average, 100 and 100 plus in the runs and RBIs. Those are all the elite numbers that will set you up big, big time. So when you do have to go with those stolen base guys, you are you have some wiggle room to make that work. You're not going to take big hits elsewhere. It's just where I'm sitting where I'm looking to draft, I'm not going to Arenado, but I don't want to talk someone off of him because I think he's a, a damn good player, and he's going to be good anywhere he goes, just not not probably for me where he's going to the draft right now. The third third baseman off the board is a guy we've mentioned time and time again and a guy we're both very, very huge on. Grabbed him in the NFPC draft uh, here recently. Jose Ramirez, uh, the big man, had a huge second half. Many of us are buying in on that coming forward. What about pick 18 right behind Arenado, as high as 14, as low as 23? I'm a big fan of him this year. I know you're a big fan. Why don't you let us know why, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I really love uh, I love Ramirez where he's going right now. I mean, it's hard to think about because he started off so poorly at the beginning of last year, but he was pretty much on pace for a 30-30 season. The batting average wasn't what we had hoped, right, at 255. But if you could say before the season started that Ramirez was going to give you a 30-30 season with, you know, a 255 batting average, like you probably take that and just try to figure out like how you make up for the batting average elsewhere because those 30 stolen bases are invaluable. And I also think that for Ramirez, what I really love about his profile is, you know, he's going, he goes towards the back end of the stolen base guys that go in the first round generally, and sometimes in the second round, but he also gets them to you at a, at a um, non-traditional position in terms of third base. And I do think that opens up a lot more opportunities down the road for stolen bases. Uh, in Roto, when you can get that number of stolen bases from a guy who um, you know, is playing a position that you don't traditionally rely on stolen bases from. And so from a team construction standpoint, I just really like having him uh, right there. And if you were going to see me take a hitter um, in the first couple rounds, it's probably going to be Ramirez. Um, First of all, you know, the ATC projection has him at 276, 92 runs, 30 home runs, 98 RBI, and 27 stolen bases. So 30 and 27, that's good for $33 uh, stat line. And this cost, even though it's an ADP of 18, is about 27 bucks. So you're looking at around a $6 value this early in drafts, which is kind of unheard of. And I really think it's just a matter of those struggles in the first half. People were really, really worried, but there wasn't any major, you know, underlying changes that would have people concerned. He did hit the ball maybe a little at too high of a launch angle, too many pop-ups, which hurt that batting average. But part of it was bad luck. And with his bat to ball skills and, and just the streaking, you know, like I am, um, 
Bubba, I know you said that you you might cough throughout. Was that you coughing right there? No, that's my dumb dog right now. He's getting very excited about his ear mirrors, I think. He is, for sure, for sure. Uh, um, but, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's, a, he's just a phenomenal hitter. Like, everything is really good about Jose Ramirez. When you look at uh, those last 40 games, you talked about how hot he was. Um, you know, a 96% in-zone contact rate, uh, 50% hard hit rate, ground ball rate super low. I mean, he's got everything you want, really good patience at the plate. He's got every single thing that you want. And so I think it's, it's, it's over the course of a full year, I think it's a stable stat line and you can really trust him to succeed. And the only area where I could get a little bit of concern is like if the Indians start shipping guys away, right? Like if Lindor gets traded and, and some of the key pieces there move. But he's just a player that I absolutely love at the price he's getting going. And if you can get an ace and then back that up with Jose Ramirez, like Justin Verlander, Jose Ramirez to start a 15-team draft, I just think that's a really incredible spot to start. Or, like I've seen people go Trevor Story, Jose Ramirez. I think that's a phenomenal start. I mean, any of those kind of five-category contributors in the first round and following that up with Jose Ramirez. Now, I would never advocate for going hitter-hitter, <laughs> but if you were to do it, um, I think that that is uh, it's a phenomenal way to start a draft. Well, I advocate it. That's the beauty of our podcast. We, two, we, we have two different We have two different approaches to the to the draft. And I just did Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, and I'm over the moon with that combination. I would love to leave almost every draft with that duo. Like you said, his, his overall bat-to-ball skills are just outstanding. We saw the second half last season when I pulled it up. He hit 327 in the second half compared to 218 in the first. 16 of his 23 homers in the second half. And, and the second half was 43 games, first half 85. So literally half of the games he played. So you just start doing the math there. I know you can't just double everything. That's not the way – this game works, but it was beautiful, and he still stole 24 bags. The funny thing is he had 18 stolen bases in the first half, six in the second half. So he was running more. He wasn't going deep. He wasn't getting on base as much, but he was much more powerful and productive in the second half. I think that came with the health and everything, which is weird because he also had a hand injury. I think you might remember it. He comes back from the hand injury. I think he had like two homers in the first game, goes deep again in the second game. Everyone's like, oh, my goodness, what is this man doing? But uh, heck of a ball player, heck of a five-tool category player. I think he's a great draft pick. He's pretty much the first third baseman I'm really looking to focus on in the draft. Like, third baseman is deep. It's a weird kind of deep. It's, I'm very picky at the position. And Jose Ramirez is one of my favorite ones. He'd be the first one I'd be taking off the board. And uh, I'm curious to see how his – he's kind of been in this range most of draft season. I'm curious to see where it continues going as the draft season goes on. But All right, let's go to the fourth third baseman off the board. Mentioned him earlier talking about Arenado. That's Anthony Rendon going about pick 23 right now. As, as high as 14, as low as 32. You know, massive season last year, near MVP type season. Now he heads to Anaheim. And that's going to make, make things very, very interesting out there for one Anthony Rendon. You know, you got Trout there. You got Otani. Maybe hopefully a healthy Utton and Upton and whatnot. What's your thoughts on Rendon? You know, new place, new contract. Sometimes it's a little iffy, but still a very good ball player. Yeah, you know, I, I Rendon kind of falls into this category of second round hitter. And again, I'm talking about Roto here. So like if you play a points league, he's absolute absolute gold. Um, Rendon is just because of the high walk rate and the and the low K rate um, and everything else that he provides uh, for you. Um, you know, so in Roto, though, I think my major concern is that he kind of falls into this second group of 
hitters in the or uh, group of hitters in the second round that provides a lot but doesn't necessarily provide speed. Now at least he provides a really solid batting average. I mean over 300 for the past three years, really really nice, and the play discipline is just. Uh, really nice, both with the walk rate, the K rate at 13% for three consecutive years. Everything's there for him to be really, really good. You know, one little question is, is the health just, you know, in in um, the last four seasons, like he's going to get you around 600 plate appearances, which is great. But where he really broke out last year was, um, you know, with 650 plate appearances. But also, like, I think that's the thing that makes me a little bit nervous is that last year he set career highs in virtually every offensive category outside of stolen bases. Um, you know, you look at the home runs, uh, nine higher than any previous season, even the 2017 season where we had the bouncy ball. The RBI and run numbers, 117 and 126, boosted up by that batting average, which partially probably reflects the increase in home runs. Um, but then also just those counting stats are, are, you can't really bank on those necessarily. And while he is, he does have trout batting in front of him. So he should have a lot of RBI opportunities. I think it's just important to note he was behind Juan Soto last year. And so he continued to have, you know, really good RBI opportunities, um, there. So it's not that much of an upgrade. Um, but, and so I guess my major concern is just like, you know, you're really paying for, in a lot of ways, last season, it is a $24 about uh, ATC projection that he has about a $25 cost. So you're pretty much even maybe losing about a dollar, but it's a definite downgrade in terms of ballpark. I know that um, a bunch of folks have pointed out that Nats park is, is tricky, uh, good, especially for right-handed power hitters. And so he's definitely going to get a bump down going to Anaheim. Um, and just a general park downgrade there. So it'll be interesting, but I guess this is all just to say he's an incredibly solid profile, but I just don't see him repeating what he did last year. And, you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily paying this price for that profile right here. I agree with what you're saying, and, and I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't produce that. Like, I could still see 30 homers, maybe he loses five. But you look at what he's done in recent years. He's improved his barrel rate every season in baseball to 12% last year. He's, his launch angle has always been very, very conducive to the long ball. And his hard hit rate has gone up the last couple of years up to almost 47% last year. While the strikeout rate doesn't go crazy, the walk rate increases. You look at his X stats, they all line up to exactly what he's doing. So he's not really doing anything out of the norm by what the advanced metrics look at which is outstanding, and he still just kind of, you know, hits it all over the park, not a straight pull hitter or anything like that, uh, hits more ground balls and fly balls. Very interesting hitting profile, that's for sure. It's one of those guys I think he, he really takes advantage of his um, hard hit, his pulled hard hits, and, and makes the most out of it. Now going to Anaheim, you know, Washington's a pretty – it's more of a hitter-friendly park than people give it credit for. Still a good lineup he's going to be heading into there in Anaheim. Some, some changes, of course, you know, going to face Houston and, and some other teams in that division. But I still think a very solid years in play. I can see the argument that he might not, you know, produce as much as we would think. Another guy that's not going to steal much, which we talked about a lot of this position. I'd rather have Rendon than Arenado most likely right now, which sounds weird to say. At the same time, I probably won't have either, just kind of like you were saying, where, where he falls in the draft. I think a very good hitter, just like most of these guys. But for me, it's still J-Ram up here, and I'll let Rendon 
uh, fall to others as I just the value wise, I'm not quite there right now. Yeah. All right. The, yeah. fi- the fifth. Yeah. I, I think of 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 a lot of those hitters that are going there in the second round. I think he is he is one of the best bets out of those guys, and I think you make some really compelling arguments for him. You know, at this spot, I don't think it's a terrible pick. I'll I'll kind of take it back a little bit. Um, I just think that like you know, if you're going to grab a hitter, um, you know, it, maybe if you've gotten some speed. So if you've gotten Turner you know, in your first pick, or you've gotten a Lindor or a story in that first round, and you're coming back with Rendon. Uh, I think that's really nice. I just don't necessarily like him as your first piece on offense. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that for the first piece. Not really the the floor you're looking for. That That's for darn sure with the strikeouts, at least. The rest of it's a solid floor. It's a great floor. But the five-category upside, not quite there. That's for darn sure. Uh, fifth third baseman at the board, Rafael Devers coming off a monster season last year. Finally broke out the way many of us were hoping for. Pick 25 right now in NFC drafts, high as 18, low as three. The kid is he, he's still a kid, still super young, and, and may have another level to him, or if not, still a very, very good one that we saw. What's your thoughts on Devers? Yeah, the one thing about Devers that's really intriguing to me is that the projection systems just love him. Um, I mean, obviously last year's product production was incredible. Um, and there was definitely some improvements overall in his game. Um, and then his age, I mean, he's what, he just turned 23. Is that right? Yeah. He just turned 23. So he's young, he's projectable. There's still upside there, although it's hard to beat what he did last year. Um, I think for me, I really want to like Devers just because the projection systems love him, but you know, a couple things that I just noted, um, you know, number one, like he had about a three and a half percent increase uh, overall in contact rate last year, and then about a 7% decrease in his K rate. So the question is whether that 17% K rate is, is, um, is the true K rate for him. The projections have him between kind of 18 and 19%, which I think might be a little bit more reflective of the contact skills. He is Super aggressive at the plate. His plate discipline is not good. Over 40% O-swing. Obviously, players have been very successful um, doing that. His his quality of contact metrics don't necessarily jump off the page. Like his average exit velocity at 92.1 miles per hour is really good. But when you look at his barrel rate, it's not uh, that high. And I think that's because he hits a ton of ground balls. Um, his ground ball rate did fall last year from 46.2% in 18 to 44.4% last year, but that's still well above league average. So depending on the way you want to look at it, you could say, oh, well, you know, that just means that there's more upside on the home run totals if he can get that ground ball rate down even further. And then if you want to look at it the other way, it's like he's got a high ground ball rate, so that puts a little bit of a cap on his home run. So it just depends, I think, on like kind of the approach that you want to take there. Um, the one thing, like, there's kind of like some yellow flags here with Devers for me, which I think maybe I'm ridiculous in thinking about them. But, um, you know, uh, towards the end of the year, his chase rate um, continued to increase. His ground ball rate um, also increased towards the end of the year, you know, with Mookie potentially being traded as well and the lack of some super stellar, like, barrels per uh, barrel metrics and you know, things of that nature. Like it's, it's a little bit of, of a number of yellow flags here for me. Is he going to repeat the stolen bases? Um, so again, like he's young, there could be even more in that bat given his age and how well he did last year. 
but do the underlying metrics make me super confident that he'll repeat it? Not necessarily. So, you know, the projections have him as a $30 player, 298, 108 runs, 33 home runs, 106 RBI, seven stolen bases. Um, you know, the ADP is only a $25 pick. So $5 worth of value this early on in drafts. But again, I'm just not convinced by the underlying metrics. There's just one too many yellow flags for me. And so I probably won't be after Devers this year. How about you? He's a very interesting player. I love Devers. I love getting him at a value last year. I love playing him at DFS all the time. He's just such a very, very good hitter. His bat-to-ball skills, his contact skills are ridiculous. Like He's basically Jose Ramirez for me, but he doesn't run. That That's how I look at Rafael Devers. So I kind of believe the projections. I think his hit tool is really, really good. From when he was in the minors, everyone raved that he was – one of like the best pure hitters they'd seen in a long time come through the system. Like this, he finally broke out last year. We saw a little bit in eighteen, but what we saw in, in nineteen with the average, with the power, was really, really good. And I think it is sustainable. Like, is there going to be some ups and downs because he's because he's so young? Yes. But once a few things that that stand out to me looking at his his uh, baseball savant page that I like a lot is his zone swing and his zone contact is very, very efficient. Like eighty percent zone contact, I think, is outstanding. That's really, really good for a young player like that. But what I like to see is each of the last three seasons with the Red Sox, he increases first pitch swinging percentage. So he's being more aggressive in the zone because, you know, you look at scouting reports and you see so many guys that just throw, you know, get them over fastballs or something early in the count. He's taking advantage of that. That's just little things like that can make a big difference in an extra three to five home runs or something. Um, so that that's a good approach to the plate. Now, do people see the scouting report and not throw in these pitches anymore? Then we'll, we'll see obviously. But the other thing is it's a, one of the fun stats is the meatball stat, the meatball percentage, meatball swing. He's great at it. A 7.2% meatball, but his meatball swing, he's swinging at 86% of the meatballs in the zone, which is again, taking advantage of the the pitches you need to take advantage of. So he's, he's it's almost kind of like we talk about Bregman. He takes advantage of, of pulling the ball in Houston. Devers is taking advantage of the best situations to hit the ball deep. And, and that's going a long, long ways. Because when you look at the rest of his profile, I'm with you. A 45% ground ball rate with a 23% uh, fly ball rate usually doesn't spell a lot of power. Uh, his pull rates aren't like over the over the moon. Uh, everything else is pretty. You're expecting more of a doubles, a gap to gap type guy. But his you know exit velocity, his barrels, his hard hit, all that great stuff, it, it's it's electric. So I think this guy is. I, I think we, I'm not going to say there's more to Devers, but I think what he's doing, the 30 home run type guy, is very very good and a good average. No Mookie Bass is not ideal. 100% agree with you there. JD is still there. Maybe Benintendi figures it out. Uh, Bogarts is still there. So they could always put Devers like second in case he doesn't hit homers. He still has Bogarts and, and JD behind him. So it's not like he won't have protection in that lineup. And in and in Boston, pull-to-pull uh, uh, pull side is big homers. Gap-to-gaps, more of a doubles ballpark. But overall, the ballpark really enhances Babbitt and batting average. So as long as he's hitting half his games there, that will help as well. So I do like Devers. I'm a big fan of Devers. He's one of the, you know, after J-Ram, maybe it's the mold. But I wouldn't mind taking Devers. Again, it's just where he goes in the draft, the way I've been drafting. This is one thing I emphasize on this show, other shows, just chats I'm in. Know the player pool. Do mock drafts. Do, you know, draft champions, best balls. Something to get your mind on how things go and how you want to build your team. Because, you know, Devers is fun and great and all, but you can take Yohan Moncada like 40 picks later and get a lot of similarities there. 
and where Devers is going, you could get, you know, a Chris Sale or something along those lines or a, a, a J.D. Martinez or a Bryce Harper if you're in a five outfielder league and you want to build that way. So kind of see where it goes for him. I'm not saying don't take Devers. I think he's going to be super, super, te- super good, four categories for you. And he's shown the occasional steal upside. I just don't see it being massive. But, hey, he runs into 10 steals for you. That's huge there. So he's a very, very good pick. Just make sure it's the kind of build you're looking for and you're comfortable with. Because if he doesn't produce, like his his range of outcomes, I think, is much bigger than – like Rendon's, like you can almost lock in where Devers has such a big gap. It could be really, really good or really, really scary for you. Yeah, I think that's a good good comparison because <laughs> – like Rendon, like you mentioned, like the ground ball rate is low. He's hitting the ball in the air a ton. Um, you know, he's got the low K rate similar to Devers, but much lower. So it's much more stable um, of a profile. So I would prefer him over over a Devers, you know, uh, if I was if I was starting my team, because I think they're pretty similar overall in terms of the line that they're going to produce. Yeah, 100% with you there. Um, we, get a, we get a big jump here. After the top five guys, I'll go in between like 14 and 25, the sixth third baseman going up at 58 so uh, over a 30 pick drop two round drop uh going as high as 48 as low as 70 is vladito vladimir guerrero jr it's kind of weird even after a down season he's going i'm kind of trying to remember but in a very similar spot to where he was going last year in drafts about the you know fourth or fifth round give or take um lots of mixed debates on this guy because we know what the talent level is it just wasn't all there last season toby what are you doing with Vlad Guerrero Jr.? Yeah, you know, Vlad is really, really tough, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to mess things up. I don't want to give away any spoilers for later on in the podcast. But he may feature, or actually, no, I'm going to make it like I'm going to, I'm going to make it a cliffhanger. He may feature in either my my guys I target or my busts. I'm not quite sure which one. You're going to have to listen to more of the podcast to find out. Uh, I think the key for Vlad is really like is really hitting fewer ground balls, right? I mean, I know we've heard a lot about how he's getting into better shape. Um, you know, he's doing all that work. You know, best shape of his life. But really, it comes down to hitting fewer ground balls because you know he's hitting a ton of ground balls. Towards the end of last season, there was actually a spike where he was over 50% ground balls. Um, that I think is is what is is keeping him from really reaching those, you know, that um, you know the ceiling that folks want him to hit because it's keeping the the home run total low. A lot of his metrics towards the end of last season really sagged, and it may be a conditioning issue. And maybe now that he's in the best shape of his life, that won't necessarily happen. I mean, there are pretty good signs, but nothing's like spectacular in the profile, right? Like the contact rate is 77%. So right around league average, um, you know, his O swings 31.6%. So not particularly like good in terms of his plate discipline so far. Again, like it's his first season, you know, development isn't linear. And I think this is one of the things that I struggle with as a fantasy analyst is really being able to figure out like, when are they going to take that next step? Right. And, and where do you do, do you do buy into the prospect pedigree versus what you've seen so far in MLB? I think Devers is a really good example with that. Like the difference being that Devers last year was going around pick like 130 to 150. you know, hard hit rate. Isn't necessarily uh, anything uh, to write home about ground ball rate, 49.6%. Uh, we know about the max exit below, right? Uh, absolutely elite, but still the barrel rate is low. Even the barrel rate, you know, for per batted ball event is low. 
because he hits the ball at such low launch angle, right? 6.7 degree uh, launch angle overall. Even when he hits the ball in the air, he hits the ball in the air fairly hard, but not as hard, 93.2. And so, which ranks him 194th out of, I think, 478. So I'm just not seeing what to buy into at this ADP. You know, like if he were going later on and there was a little bit of, um, you know, if there there was a little cushion built in from his struggles last year, I think that that's great. Does he have that 300, 100, 130 jack season in him? For sure. But I'm just not sure if the likelihood of him getting there is that much higher than like a Yohan Moncada who's going, mm-hmm. you know, around half around later um, than Guerrero. And we've already seen what Makana can do in terms of speed and batting average and just the quality of contact. So I'm, I'm not going to tell you whether he's a bust or whether he's somebody that I'm targeting until later on, but I think there are a lot of, a lot of major question marks for me, just pretty much everywhere you look in his profile. I think I can guess where you're going with that, but I'll wait till later. I'll save it. Teaser. Don't we'll save it. it. Don't yeah, we'll save it. it. We'll save it for later. But um, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Like Vlad's a fun player. Fantasy's supposed to be fun, but also if you want to win fantasy, it's tough. Like I mentioned, the range of outcomes of Devers. Same can be said for Vlad. He's gonna, Vlad, he's gonna be 21 this year. Like the development's still coming. Where he's at so far ahead of other players, so he could easily take that next step. We saw hard hit the ball in the minors and everything. And he even came up, it was after his really slow stretch. Then he went on a heater there for a while. His hard hit rate went through the roof. Everything he did was amazing. He was scorching the baseball. And maybe that's a sign of things to come as he got comfortable at the plate because he really pressed early. He slumped early on quite a bit. So maybe there are some improvements there. I'm with you. There's a lot of question marks, though. He's not going to run. That's a big thing. As like we keep saying over and over again. Like, I just don't want to – I try to avoid as much dead running as possible, especially early in the draft. I can do that later in the drafts. And I said Moncada's name earlier. You just said him again. I'd rather have Moncada in a heartbeat. I love Vlad. He could be great. He really could be, but he won't be great on my teams this year. I'll I'll be passing on that one. All right, the seventh third baseman off the board, picked as high as 38, as low as 69, currently going around. Pick 59, so a lot of variance in Chris Bryant, a lot. 38 to 69, pretty good chunk there for Chris Bryant. Uh, He's very polarizing. I know you're a big Chris Bryant fan, so what (laughs) do you have on him? I'm a big Chris Bryant fan because every year my bold predictions are correct that he is way overdrafted. Um, You know, Bryant, (laughs) the lowest draft for him, though. It is. I mean, he's moving further and further down to where I think, you know, he becomes a little bit more interesting. Um, you know, right now it's a $19 projection, 276, 102 runs and 29 uh, home runs, 83 RBI, four stolen bases. It's about a $18, um, pick. So he's about even maybe half a dollar worth of value right here at 58. Um, I think the thing for Bryant is it sounds weird to say, but he's kind of like, a he just kind of accumulates, right? He doesn't do anything particularly well. Um, and he hasn't for a pretty long time. I mean, you know, 276 uh, projected batting average. Uh, He has hit, um, I think uh, I should get this in front of me. I want to say he hit uh, in the 270s for two consecutive years and then 280. Okay, 272, 282, 295 before then. Um, Just There's just like nothing inspiring to me about 
Chris Bryant, the contact rate is slightly below league average, about league average plate discipline, the hard hit rate, and the stat cast metrics are never that exciting uh, for him, which is why one of the reasons why I've been off him for a while. Um, he is hitting uh, the ball in the air more, which is nice to see. So it's overall a solid profile, but again, like he's really just a guy hitting pretty high up in the Cubs lineup and scoring a bunch of runs, but he doesn't really help you in stolen bases. Batting average, he doesn't hurt you, but he's not a guy who's probably going to help you unless he runs into a positive side of regression. And so, you know, he's fine. Um, you know, I think there are guys, again, with more upside um, and who are safer bets going later, but, you know, he's fine going where he's going right now. Yeah, I don't mind Chris Bryant where he's going. He's going right by Vlad. Similar kind of projections, but we've seen Bryant do it time and time again. Like you said, it's not flashy, but he puts up the power around 30 home runs. Hits you about 280 or so. Got 270, 280, even 290, like you mentioned. Uh, he's going to drive in some runs. He's going to score some runs because they have him hit in front of Rizzo and company. Um, I, I don't mind him in his spot. You have to realize where he's at in the order. He's not going to drive in runs. That's why 77 and 73 in his last two full seasons. So you're not going to see those 100 RBIs very often anymore. But he's going to score you over 100 runs, uh, drop some bombs, hit for a good average. He's going to be a great OBP asset for you as well. So if you're going to pick a guy right here, I'd rather have uh, Bryant over Ladito. But I'd also uh, – I'd rather have Yohan Moncada. I just keep mentioning that name. Like I'm a big – fan of what he's doing right now and he's the eighth third baseman off the board he's picked 63 i'm a big big fan of his what is it you're seeing in yohan Moncada? yeah i join you bubba in the yohan Moncada love fest uh, i just really like Moncada. i think there's a very solid floor in his production um, and then i think there's an incredibly high ceiling as well um, so he's 18 projection 267 batting average which i'll get to in a second 89 runs, 25 home runs, 80 RBI, um, and 11 stolen bases. So the 25 and 11 is really, really nice. It's about an $18 value. So he's about even. Like, he's about where Brian is. But I think the contrast between the two is really important. Because I think with Brian, you're kind of getting, like, a boring, steady guy, which is fine. And I think Yohan Moncada at the floor, you know, barring injury, is really, really good. Right? You know. Uh, but I think the upside is tremendous. They have his batting average at 267. Um, obviously, he hit um, 315 last, last year with a 406 Babbitt, but he has the skills to put up an extremely high Babbitt. I mean, the StatCast numbers are really, really nice in terms of his average, average exit velocity. He's actually better than De Devers across the board on his StatCast mm -hmm. metrics uh, from a barrel perspective um hard hit percentage like everything's really nice um for Mankata. and so i think that babip is going to stay elevated it's 369 for his career now uh, and about 1500 plate appearances uh atc has him at about 347 so i would i think the average at 267 is very low and then i think you also combine that with the fact that they're projecting 25 home runs in 628 plate appearances after he had 25 last year in 560, you know, we think of Mankata as being old, but he's still 24. So he's still young. There's still, I think, another gear um, for him to hit. And so I think that home run total is low. So when you combine, you know, um, the BABIP and the uh, home run total uh, increase that I would anticipate um, or that I do anticipate, I think that bumps the batting average even higher. 
and then again, like the 11 stolen bases from third base um, really differentiates him, I think, from a lot of the other third basemen that are going around here. And, you know, again, like in the White Sox lineup, it should be much, much better than it was last year. Um, he generally um, has in his career walked a decent amount. It was down a little bit last year, but the OBP um, should also be solid. Uh, I just think there is a ton of stuff to love. Like we've already seen a year full of improvement. I think um, we see like the ground ball rate um, is also low. So I just love like everything about Mankata and where he's going. And if there was a guy, I, I think in, you know, from the guys that we're talking about towards the back end of this third base, that's going to hop up into the second round or first round come next year. I think Mankata could definitely be that guy. 100% agree with everything you had to say there. I think the power's legit. I wouldn't be shocked if he hits the 30-plus home runs this year. Throwing in those stolen bases is tremendous. And I agree, the batting average will be higher than 267. He's a career, like, ATC 347 Babbitt. The other one's 338. He's, time and time again, in the minors, was like a 380-plus Babbitt type guy, or at least 370-plus. So, you throw that Babbitt together, that'll increase the average. Better lineup in that ballpark. We saw, like you said, his barrel rate went up last year. His hard hit rate went up. But even when doing all that, much, much more aggressive at the plate, his strikeout rate dropped, which was great to see. And let's just imagine. I know the Babbitt ground balls helped Babbitt a ton. Let's just imagine if he does not ground hit ground balls 42% of the time. Some of those turn into fly balls. Just imagine how many home runs they, that we could be seeing here. It, it, there's a lot to like with Moncada. Age 25 season, big lineup. Uh, I, I love 30 homers, 10 to 15 stolen bases. Going to score a ton of runs atop that order. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets over 100 runs. And I'm with you. We could see a big jump in the draft this time next season for Yon Moncada. So I, I really wouldn't mind having him on my team. Jose Ramirez, Yon Moncada, two of my favorite third basemen to draft this year. And I picked 63. That's uh, beginning of the fifth round, I believe. Quick math. Yes. Um, that's not too bad. You might need to take him in the fourth round these days, but I'd take him over. Bryant and Vlad, let's put it that way, where things are going right now. So if you have to jump into the fourth, I'd have zero problem with that at all. Yeah, I drafted him, I think, at pick 55 recently. Um, in yep. my most recent draft champions league, I got him in the fourth round. Yeah, so pick, God, my math is terrible, 57 is where I got him. <clears throat> about, about Vladito's price. So perfect. I like that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, ninth third baseman off the board. Pick 64. Going as high as 47, low as 76. Talked about him a bit last week. Manny Machato. Quick thoughts on him? Yeah. I mean, I think I might have been a little harsh on Machado uh, la last week, you know, just saying that I, I wouldn't have any, any shares of him. I probably won't just because of the way that I construct my team. But there's certainly something to be said. I mean, even last year in a down year, the batting average wasn't great, but he still hits 30-plus 30, 30 home runs, you know, 80-plus RBI, 80-plus uh, runs. So I think, you know, everything is, is, everything is solid when it comes to Machado. He's just solid. He's kind of like a Chris Bryant going a little bit later, and I'd almost rather have Machado just because there is a, a tiny little bit of stolen base upside with him. Um, and And so – you know, he's fine. Machado's fine as well. But again, not necessarily somebody that I would be targeting, but I think he's yeah, I think he's fine. Yeah, not a guy not a guy I'm in love with at all. Um he's fine. It's a great way to put it. Like, yeah. 
if you lose out on some guys and you really want to take a third baseman, sure. But I, I won't have Manny Machado on on many of my teams. Uh, the 10th guy off the board, we talked about him twice already. And the more and more we talk about him, the more and more I look at him, I start finding myself liking DJ LeMahieu more and more. He's going up pick 68. He's the 10th third baseman off the board. His highest pick 58, his lowest pick 82. The position flexibility is huge. Hitting the top of the Yankees order. Batting average for days with some sneaky power. Quick thoughts on uh, LeMahieu? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I mean, I think I, um, I'm i a fan of LeMahieu. I have not drafted him yet. I think just because of where he's going and, and a guy with a similar profile and similar multi-position eligibility that I do have a lot of shares of is um, uh, is Jeff McNeil of the Mets. And so obviously, like, there's huge upside here. Or not huge upside, Jesus. I got to stop. We got to stop saying these words. But, like, you know, LeMahieu's in a great lineup. Um, the batting average, you know, will he hit 327 again? Probably not. Is his career batting average 302? Probably is the Yankee Stadium built perfectly for the type of power that he does have? Absolutely. So I think he's going to be all around solid. I think the counting stats are going to be nice in that in that lineup. So, again, don't expect a repeat of last year, but I think very solid contributions across the board. The stolen bases are a little – are probably a little light, right? Five, six maybe. Um, but, you know, given what else you're getting and the additional flexibility of like, what is he, first, second, and third base, I think? Yep, um, first, second, and third. Yeah, that that's just really nice to have because it opens up a lot of opportunity later in, on in the draft to move guys around and really be able to, um, you know, attack some 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 guys who, who dip here that you may not have anticipated and, and, and shift your, your, your picks kind of midstream um, in that sense. So, a guy that I like, I don't have any shares of, but I definitely um, think uh, he's solid. Yeah, personally, I'd, I'd rather have him over McNeil, but McNeil, you do save 25 picks or so on, so I can see the appeal there. Uh, I'm buying into LeMahieu more and more. It's just hard where he's going right now. It's I, I see other players I'd rather have, but if you're building your roster construction and you want that good batting average asset, the run scored and a decent you know floor elsewhere – no problem with DJ LeMahieu. I'd, I'd rather take his kind of floor and stability over some of the other guys we talked about already. So I don't mind LeMahieu at all. He's the 10th third baseman off the board. The 11th third baseman off the board, Eugenio Suarez, going around pick 69, as high as 51, as low as 94. I'd imagine some of those low ones have came recently after the incident in the swimming pool where he had that shoulder surgery, and now they're hopeful. He's back for opening day. So take that however you like to take it, which is not good because I'm always a huge Eugenio fan. Shoulder injuries usually stick around too, which scares me for the power department. So I likely won't own any Suarez this year, which really hurts to say because he's kind of my boo. And um, that, that's going to that's gonna hurt. But uh, what's your thoughts on Suarez? Yeah, the injury is definitely a huge bummer for Suarez. Obviously last year, um, he had a, an incredible season with the 49 home runs. Um, I think, you know, the, the projection is 263, and this is post-injury projection, um, I believe. It's 263 uh, with 82 runs, 36 home runs, 93 RBI, and two stolen bases. Um, that's anticipating 606 plate appearances um, from ATC. So we're not really sure how long the injury is going to Sideline him, but like you mentioned, shoulder issues tend to linger. I was in a draft recently. I think it had a low of nine, or he was drafted at pick 92 or so. 
Um, currently, it's a $17 projection. It's about a $17, $18 cost. But again, I think there's a lot of uh, risk baked in, especially since the profile isn't necessarily anything special, right? Like, I mean, the home run totals are special for sure. The RBI totals are really nice, but they're not giving you, he's not giving you any stolen bases or batting average. Um, you can't really count on that. I think, again, last year he was really good, but there were some signs of concern. So there was a 4% dip in his contact rate. Um, now, he was able to kind of fight through that uh, because he hit those 49 home runs. But if those home runs don't go out and they fall short, you know, then that's a number of different hits uh, that you're losing. The batting average goes down, which may be one of the reasons why that 263 batting average is right there for you, Henio, after a 283 and 271 seasons. Um, so I do see a little bit of some, some warning signs. Overall, the profile is solid. But again, like you mentioned, I won't be drafting him here. I think he'd have to fall a little ways further for me to take a, a shot at him. Maybe like, you know, pick, you know, 110 to 120, something like that uh, for me to, to, to take a shot. But uh, it's really just, it's really just too bad. He's a, he's a, he's a great player. Yeah, he definitely is. And it's weird looking at his profile. You know, he went from 9.7 to 14% barrel rate, which is outstanding, but his exit velocity dropped and his hard hit rate dropped from like 46% to 41%. Quite the drop there. So he definitely took advantage of great American small park in a big way. Cause as those dropped, his K rate also went from 23.4 to 28.5. Uh, some of the things you don't want to see, out of a young hitter like that, and then you throw that shoulder injury into place, it's a very, very sticky predicament, no doubt about it. Like his pull percentage last year went from 39.4 to 50.3%. That is uh, bonkers, and that'll be a massive reason for the power. So the good thing for him, still playing Amer Great American Small Park, so if he's pulling the ball there, he'll still get some friendly home runs. But that shoulder injury terrifies me, and uh, yeah, probably just pushed me off of him this draft season, which really sucks but it'll open me up to take some other players like you no know, Javi Baez should go before that, but maybe Javi Baez at that point in the draft or some other guys. So no Eugenio for me as the numbers were quite drastically shifted and that injury is terrifying. The 12th third baseman off the board, the final one we'll talk about in this part of the podcast is Josh Donaldson, the new Minnesota twin. Going around pick 88. He's going as high as 64, as low as 116. Um, coming off a very, very good year for the twins. And he got paid to go to Minnesota. Are you buying in on some more Josh Donaldson love this year? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think where he's going right now is great. About a two two and a half dollar value at a nineteen dollar projection, sixteen dollar cost for this pick. He's been he's been moving up boards. I mean, he was going after pick one hundred a little while ago. He's moving up. I anticipate that given you know signing with the Twins, and as people dive in, I think Donaldson's going to keep going up at least into the low 80s uh, come March. But he's a really good lesson in recency bias. Um, when you look at his project production over the last, you know, however many years, I mean, really since the, his years with the A's, he was always pretty healthy. Um, and even when he wasn't, he produced. Uh, you look at his 2017 season with the Blue Jays, less than 500 plate appearances, still hit 33 home runs. Um, but then we had two, 2018 and his price plummeted and, you know, there wasn't really a change in who the guy was and he's healthy. He's older, but he's healthy. He just absolutely crushed last year. All of the data 
all of the metrics are great. He continues to have um, uh, elite plate discipline, you know, 25% O-swing. Uh, his contact rate is, is fine for a power hitter at around 72%. Just hits the ball really hard. The ground ball rate is a little bit higher than, you know, your traditional, um, you know, power hitters at around 42%. But, you know, the StatCast data, 9.4% barrels per plate appearance. The average exit velocity at about 93 miles per hour. Max exit below is solid at 114. Uh, he is the, has the sixth highest uh, average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. Um, just an absolute, like, he just crushes. And I think he's, I anticipate him, he's going to continue to crush. And he's going to be in that lineup with the twins. And there's going to be a lot of guys on base and there's going to be a lot of guys to drive in and there's going to be a lot of guys to drive him in. And so yeah. I think he's really nice value going where he's going. He doesn't have the batting average and the stolen bases like a lot of guys do. But when you compare him to like a Eugenio Suarez or even a Machado and a Bryant, I just really love the combination of situation and elite skills at what they do. Uh, more uh, or elite skills that Donaldson has compared to relatively similar profiles of those guys going a little bit earlier in drafts. Yeah, you, you nailed one of the, the aspects there. Is I, I, you look at Donaldson's profile, you know, you take out that 2018 injured season. Since 2015, at least a 12.2% or higher barrel. Last year, 15.7. He's got an exit velo of a 90.6 or higher, which is outstanding. He has a hard hit rate of 44% or higher last year, 50%. Um, we look at his actual bacon, 448 or higher, 456 last season. Everything he's done has been great, and he still walks over like 15% of the time, which is very, very good. So he's not just swinging at everything. You mentioned how hard he hits his fly balls, his line drives. I mentioned the meatball percentage with, with Devers, and it fluctuates between guys. But every season with Donaldson, he's been 78% or higher. Last year, 83%. So he sees that pitch and he crushes it. And that, that's that's a big aspect of how good he is. You know, he's going to get you close to 100 runs, 100 RBIs, especially on his Twins team, like you mentioned. Big time 35-plus home run power, 260, 270 average. And, and you nailed the comparisons. I'm like, I'd rather take him over Vlad. I'd rather take him over Chris Bryant. I'd rather take him over uh, Machado, Suarez. All those guys you got to take a few rounds earlier. Wait on Josh Donaldson. He might keep going up. He said he's gone as high as 64 which would put him right in that Machado range. But I'd keep uh, – I'd rather have him like pretty much Moncada is the only one out of the top five guys that we talked about before that that I'd rather have possibly over Donaldson, and that's because of the stolen base upside. Um, other than that, I see a lot of similarities, and I think Donaldson's other four categories are going to be huge. I think he's, he's a big, big guy to target later in the draft, or not later, but like round uh, eight or nine – where he's going. I think that's a great, great play at third base in that ballpark, in that lineup, in that bad division, he should flourish. So big, big fan of big Josh Donaldson on that one. All right, Toby, that gets us through the top 12. The next guy was Max Muncy. We've talked about him a million times. Jeff McDeal's there. Moustakis. We've talked about all of them. There's Matt Chapman, who we can talk about a little later, but a lot of multi-position guys. When you keep going down to Escobar, uh, Guriel, Edmund, Kangary, Davis, McMahon. It seems like two-thirds of the third baseman in the top 20 are multi-position eligible. So lots going on there, Toby. Uh, let's get into give me two sleepers that you're looking at after the top 10 or so in the draft. 
Yeah, and I will do my best not to read them all in a row like I have on previous shows <laughs> to give you an opportunity to give yours as it's well. So good. Um, the first guy that I'm liking more and more the more I dig in is Brian Anderson um, of the uh, of the Marlins. Uh, he his projection is about an eleven dollar uh, projection right now. He's being drafted at uh, an ADP of I think two forty six um in that window that we're looking at um and so that's the 164th ranked hitter so you know he's about 80 picks below where he should be if you were uh believing the projection uh which is 266 batting average 23 home runs 70 runs 73 rbis and five stolen bases uh his his season last year was injury shortened but there were some really good developments Dropped his ground ball rate by uh, 6.5% down to 45.4%, uh, which, you know, again, uh, depending on the way you look at it, is either caps his home run total or gives him a little bit more uh, room to get that down. Hard hit rate was at 44.3%. The contact rate dipped a little, but it seems like he made a pretty, you know, one of the, the um sacrifices we've seen folks make which is you know dipping the contact rate but increasing the hard hit rate and we'll definitely take that uh, the k rate is still low you know projected for about 22 21 22% so really nice there and then the um uh when you look at his um uh statcast data you know 114.4 mile per hour max exit velo which is really nice hits the ball hard in the air 6% barrel rate it's not anything that's going to jump off the table at you. The hard hit rate is at 45.7%, 48th out of 478 hitters. But it's just enough to point to a guy who um, has improved in every single season that he's had and just uh, continues to get better. And I think the Marlins lineup sucks, obviously. But I think um, there's an opportunity really for um, him to, be, uh, to take another step forward um, and to do even better than those projections. Yeah, I don't mind Anderson at all. My first guy is Scott Kingery. I know we got a listener question on him later, but I wasn't on him at first. But the more and more I've done drafts and prep, I'm becoming much more of a fan of Kingery. For one, in the NFBC, he's third base outfit eligible, which is nice in five outfielder leagues. He's going about pick 166 overall right now. But what I really love about him, and the projections agree, ATC 20 homers, 18 stolen bases. Uh, last year, 15 steals. 19 homers in 126 games, 500 plate appearances, hit 256 uh, with a 216 ISO, which I like a lot. One thing we really saw with him is in his stat cast metrics, he started hitting the ball with much more authority, much more power. We saw his uh, barrel rate go up to 8% last year, his hard hit rate up to 39%. Those are big jumps from before. He suffered a little bit in, st- in strikeouts, uh, running up 3.4% to 26%. But just overall approach to the plate was much, much better. He started pulling the ball 43% of the time, uh, up from 34%. Everything you want to see for more power started to showcase. Remember, they gave Kingery a deal early for a reason, and they, they gave him a shot into the uh, early 18. Didn't work out the way they wanted to. 19, it worked out a little better. But one thing he's done in the minors, he's stolen at least 10 bases or more every season. He's shown 15-plus homer upside, like I said, as he's gotten uh, – more mature at the plate. His power has gone up. Uh, I like him that he's going to start the season at third base. Mention the outfit eligibility. People keep, keep talking Alec Baum, Alec Baum. Well, if you listen to the Phillies reports, his defense at third base, people, they are not happy with it all. 
So it's almost like if they bring him up now, they're either going to sacrifice Kingery's glove or they're going to move him to first base, move Hoskins to the outfield. That's that's kind of the scenarios I've heard so far. So regardless, Kingery should have some everyday at-bats. He might even be able to move Segura out of the way or someone gets hurt. He's going to start the season with the Phillies. I think there's a lot of upside there. And uh, you got like 15-15, 15-20 type upside with Kingery. So I, I like him a lot as a, a later third base target. Great pick. Um Kyle Seeger um, is my second one. Um, he is about a $6 player, according to his uh, projection. Um, to, uh, that puts him as the 239th most valuable player. He's currently going at 340. I think what I like about Seeger is, number one, like at this point in drafts, when you're pretty late in drafts, you know, a guy who's going to get you a ton of plate appearances, who's probably going to play every single day, I think is is – a tremendous asset. And I think he's going to play every day if he's with the Mariners. I also think there, there's been a lot of rumors about him getting traded to the Braves um, to fill in their third base spot. And so that would bring him even more value. I mean, imagine if he gets slotted in, in the fifth spot in that Braves lineup after, you know, those incredible guys that they have as the top four. So I like that possibility as well. Um, But generally like, you know, he doesn't strike out much. Uh, the plate discipline is solid. Um, hard hit is is all right. It doesn't necessarily jump out at you, but he also hits the ball in the air a ton. He had a great second half last year, which obviously he's not going to be able to repeat that. I think he had 17 home runs and 280 plate appearances in the second half. He's not going to be able to repeat that, but even getting you know half of that, um, you know, or a little bit more than half uh, would be fine uh, on a per plate appearance basis. Uh, I just think that there's a lot of room for upside and the floor is going to be pretty low. And at this spot in draft at pick 340, where he's going right now, um, I think that is a really nice spot to pick Kyle Seeger, the boringest pick you could probably make. No, he's boring, but he's productive. Um, my second guy, I mentioned him at second base, so I won't go super deep, but I still love the value on Tommy Stella. He's going to be leading off for the Angels, improved lineup like we talked about with Rendon and company, second base, third base eligibility with Listella which I like as well. And uh, at pick 281, you have power upside. I think the power might actually shift for reals. And, uh, like, again, leading off, the guys behind him. I, I love the upside at that point in the draft to get you, you know, 15 to 20 home runs and score a boatload of runs for a much improved Angels offense. So, Tom Estella would be my second guy. You got one more. Who you got? Oh, man, you looked at the outline. I break the rules, Bubba. <laughs> no, you, it's you fine. You say two sleepers, I go three. Um, uh, a guy, I won't, I won't say much about him, but I think Travis Shaw, um, is a a really nice pick as well. ADP at 328, um, in this spot, third base thins out pretty quick around this area of the draft. Um, and so Shaw, obviously last year he was atrocious. You know, he's mentioned in the off season that he was trying a new swing last year. I'm not exactly sure why, given how productive he had been previously, but it sounds like he was doing that. Um, and that just messed with him both mentally and just with his swing mechanics. And by the time he tried to make the change, the muscle memory had already set in. And so he's going back to what had worked with him previously. It could be, you know, just a bunch of, um, uh, just a bunch of, you know, I don't know, mumbo jumbo or garbage or whatever. I don't know, but you know, the possibility that he could, uh, repeat, uh, what he did in previous years and you're drafting him you know, at uh, an ADP of 328. He's still a young guy. There was, it was one of those things where his performance was just so hard to 
like deal with. You're just like, what, what is, what is happening with this guy? Like, it's just, it was just so bad. I mean, you look at his 2018 season, 241, 32 home runs, 73 runs, 86 RBI, five stolen bases. Season before that, 273, 31 homers, 84 runs, 101 RBI, 10 stolen bases. So we've seen what he's been able to do before. I think he's going to have that starting first base job with the Blue Jays. They're going to give him every opportunity, I think, to succeed because that could make him a valuable piece uh, towards the trade deadline, assuming they're not competing. Um, so I really like him a lot as a as a deep, uh, not as a deep sleeper, but just as a sleeper, as a guy going beyond pick uh, 300. Sleepers don't really exist. I think we've we've all discussed this before. Yeah, I like I like Shaw. I like that call quite a bit. Uh, one deeper target of mine that I don't know if I'll end up with every anywhere, but if I'm looking for some, you know, shot in the dark, big time power, and you believe what Jorge Soler did was big last year, I think Mikel Franco at 359 has got a little appeal to it. I won't go too deep into it, but his overall numbers last year, all the stat cast and 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 approach of the plate, all dropped off tremendously from the previous season. Maybe change of venue, new hitting coach. Uh, I think there could be a change there. As he, there's no reason why he shouldn't play every day at third base on the Royals. Maybe a new change of scenery would be good for Franco. Um, it's a risky play, but it's one of your last picks. So if it doesn't work, you drop him. But it's a legit like 20-plus home run upside guy if everything clicks. We saw what Hunter Dozier did there. We got, saw Jorge Soler. Um, you know, Whit Merrifield will get on base. Adalberto Mondesi, uh, Salvi Perez coming back. The offense, the Royals still aren't going to be great. Don't let me try to talk you up there. But the offense will be better than people think, and Franco could – be a part of that. So I think he's very interesting that late in the draft as a shot in the dark type play on your bench might not be the worst thing you can do. All right. We're talking third base bust now. Who you got busting at third base? Because I think we both had the first one at second base also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My first bust is Max Muncie. Um, I just think that Muncie, where he's going, pick 89. Um, I mean, he's going right next to Josh Donaldson. And so I guess the question is, who do you want more, Max Muncie or Josh Donaldson? And it's not necessarily like, I mean, it's a little bit of a slight towards Muncie because obviously he's produced the last two years. I mean, 35 home runs, 101 RBI last year, 98 or 98 RBI, 101 runs. But again, like the batting average and the stolen bases aren't necessarily helping you out. I think there's a lot of better profiles to target at this point in time. With the Dodgers, if you don't perform, there's always the chance that you lose a little bit of playing time. Has yet to hit, you know, 600 plate appearances. Obviously, he's produced. Um, in those limited plate appearances, but, um, you know, he's just not, there's just nothing that really interests me in particular about the profile or the projection at the spot that he's going right now in drafts. So uh, I'm going to be a pass on, on Muncie. Yep. hundred percent agree with you on Muncie. Uh, who's your second bust? My second bust, which I alluded to earlier in the podcast, I left everybody hanging on the edge of that <laughs> cliff, um, is Vlad. Uh, you know, he's the 57th, uh, his ADP is like 57 or 55. Um, and he's the 85th most valuable projected player. And I think, you know, and it's one of those things where, again, like I struggle with this because it's like, how do you bake in development? Like, it's like Vlad was supposed to be this absolutely elite hitter. Every single metric we look at outside of his max exit below is not that good. And so if you're drafting him where you're drafting him, you know, you're not drafting him even for like, you're drafting him to, to do better than his projection. And you're also drafting with the expectation that there are going to be some massive skill changes in terms of his ground ball rate, 
um, in terms of, um, uh, you know, his contact rate even to some extent because, you know, it wasn't all that terrific. Um, you know, it was about league average last year. So you're essentially drafting him to improve on his skills beyond, you know, his 50th medium projection as the projection systems are saying. And I just can't, I can't do that. And it may mean that I'm the guy who misses out on Vlad, just like I missed out on, you know, well, I didn't miss out on Rafael Devers. I had him on one of my teams last year, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, the, the, the difference is just the cost that you're paying to see whether he hits that total. And the fact that he doesn't have the stolen bases is, you know, like is that's a little bit of a concern. And so again, like there's plenty of upside. There's a lot of skill. I'm just not sure how I can draft him, especially given just how nice a lot of the values at third base are that are going even further behind him. I mean, Josh Donaldson or Vlad Jr., like, I mean, that's pretty uh, that's pretty clear to me. Um, but, yep. yeah, uh, it's, it's, my, it's my hottest take. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it shutting down Vladito. It's a big one these days. Um, mine will be Manny Machado. I might have I used him at shortstop also, but – I, I'm just not a believer in him. Sure, he's hitting 30 home runs every year, but that average is a big detriment. Uh, he's not driving in as many runs as he'd like in San Diego. Maybe steals you some bags. That's always a wishy-washy situation. Uh, you look at his overall approach to the plate last year and his quality of contact, it, it dropped off pretty good, and that, that could be a factor of Petco Park. That could be a factor of people say it's the new contract. That could be just Manny Machado's, you know, Manny Machado. He's not as good as he was in Camden Yards. It's been shown time and time again. When he's left that building, he has not been the same guy. Until he proves me otherwise, he's a very good player. But similar to your argument with Vlad Guerrero Jr., give me Josh Donaldson. Give me – I'd even go Matt Chapman or Mike Moustakis even farther. Miguel Sano. Let me go with those guys. I think Miguel Sano has a very – I may be going way off the rails here, but a very similar package to Manny Machado. A low average, big-time power. Let's see what happens. I'd rather take my chance with Miguel Sano. So uh, there are other options I'd rather have than Machado – I think he's got to fall more. He's kind of like the way you've always viewed Chris Bryant's kind of the way I always view Manny Machado. He just he just doesn't do it for me. And until he really proves me otherwise, I, I'm just not going to believe in it. I think he's just a, a guy that swings hard and gets lucky once in a while. Lucky is not the right word. That's rude. But um, he's just not consistent. It's all, it's all or nothing almost with him. And right now it's not working for me. So Manny Machado, bust for me. Who are your top targets at third base on draft day? Yeah, my um, my top targets at, at third base. So uh, Jose Ramirez is one again. Like you know, there are, there are a number of different players I'd take hitters in round one or two if they're around. Um, but uh, J Ram is definitely at the top of my list. There, I just think everything about him is wonderful. Um, he is uh, flawless, and I can see myself drafting him um, for sure. Uh, with Moncada, I love Moncada. I think that the floor, um, is high. I think the ceiling is very, very high. Uh, again, if I were to pick a guy, uh, from this group of players, that's going to go in the first or second round, uh, next year, uh, it would be Moncada, uh, outside of the guys who are already going in the first and second round. That is, uh, Donaldson. I think Donaldson's great value, uh, power guy, but he's going to have a, a ton of counting stats if he stays healthy in that twins lineup. It's just, I think a really nice scenario for him. He gets to go up against AL central pitching. I just think there's just a ton of kind of plus factors for him 
in that situation. He does not provide the average and the speed necessarily, but he won't necessarily hurt you in batting average. I mean, he's projected, I think, at 270. He hit 263 last year, I want to say. I don't have it in front of me, of course. Um, but I just think that he's not necessarily hurting you anywhere, and he is uh, going to help you out uh, in a variety of – oh, he hit 259, and he's projected to hit 263 by ATC. So I lied. So not necessarily hurting you in batting average, but I think everything else is going to be nice. Jeff McNeil is kind of like a DJ LeMayhew light. Um, but, you know, I think the average is going to be very good for McNeil. He's shown that throughout um, his recent career that he's going to hit for a high batting average. Uh, the power uh, was a nice surprise last year. And I think I trust the contact skills, um, you know, and bat control for him to be able to repeat that to some extent. And there's a little bit of speed, um, and I think he'll um, uh, he'll he'll score a decent amount of runs in RBI in a, in a relatively solid but unspectacular Mets lineup there. And then I think uh, Yuri Gurriel, who we haven't uh, Yuri Yuri Gurriel, who we haven't talked about quite yet, uh, is a guy that I loved at first base. Um, I also love him um, at uh, third base. If you were to plug his projection into the third baseman. Um, that we just went over. Uh, he's between the $18 and $19 player. Um, and so that puts him in the Donaldson Bryant camp. Uh, I just love what Guriel did last year in terms of the changes. Uh, lowering the ground ball rate uh, was really key for him. Um, he's always had great contact skills. He's always been a high batting average guy. And then in, in towards the back end of that Houston lineup, he's going to drive in a ton of runs there. Um, I think so. I don't necessarily think he's going to replicate that home run total, but um, you know, the batting average combined with a decent mid twenties home run total uh, will be really, really nice. So uh, that's kind of like my third base plan overall is to get one of those guys um, early on. So those are kind of my major um, third base targets. If I miss out on um, you know, the, the front end of a lot of those guys, um, then I'm probably looking at, um, you know, Sano is a guy I, I like, but I just find it hard, especially in an overall competition to take a risk on that batting average. Um, it could be really bad. Um, uh, Justin Turner is a guy who batting average wise, and just from a projection standpoint, like there's a huge gap between Vlad and Turner um, with a lot of the third basemen, at least the third base only guys. And so Turner's a little bit interesting if you're searching for batting average. But at that point in time, you're just kind of piecing it together. Kind of the last guy might be a Brian Anderson, you know, if I've filled a lot of the other positions and I'm solid there. Grabbing him late as a third baseman is not a terrible fallback option. How about you? Uh, J-Ram, big-time target. We kind of emphasized that quite a bit. For his five categories, Moncada as well. Big, big fan of what he's got going on this year. And then after that, Josh Donaldson, we've echoed that one quite a bit. Uh, Matt Chapman, we didn't talk about a lot, but he keeps improving each year. You know, 24 to 36 homers, 100 runs, 90 RBIs, hits about 250 at 278 the year before. His hard hit rate is ridiculous year in and year out. Like, as it gets better and better, barrel rate improves. He just hits the snot out of a baseball. His profile is very similar to Manny Machado. And he's going way after Manny Machado. So another guy I'd rather have over Machado. Machado at um, picks Matt Chapman at pick 90. So I'm a big fan of Chapman if you, if you miss out on some of the guys early on. 
Uh, love Mike Moustakis. Raved about him at the second base pod at uh, pick 104 right now. I figured he'd be going higher than that by now, but still has not. So I like Moustakis quite a bit. And then I do love uh, Miguel Sano. I think the average can improve there. Uh, a lot of swing and miss there, but the, the the contact rate, all it has to do is just improve a little bit. And I think there's a lot to like with Sano. Maybe stay healthy. That would that would be a good sign too. So uh, Sano's a guy I like as well. So those would be the kind of guys I'd be trying to lead my draft with. Uh, don't mind Scott Kingery if you need to go there later on. Power-speed combo is quite intriguing as well at the position. Um, on draft day, what's your plan for the third base position? Yeah, I mean, I think with a lot of the infield positions, I definitely want to address uh, third base early, if at all possible. Um, but, you know, I, I think, like, the guys that I'd love to get are the J-Ram, Mankata, Donaldson, McNeil, Guriel. Although with McNeil, oftentimes you'll find yourself slotting him into second base. So he may not be as good of an option. But I'm generally finding myself with maybe one of those um, particular guys to slot in at third base. Um, if I miss out on them, you know, I may just bypass, but it depends. Like if I really need power, Sano is a possibility. Um, if I really need speed, Tommy Edmond is growing a little bit on me only because I think with the situation they have in St. Louis, I think there's plenty of opportunities for him to get enough playing time to be helpful. And that second base, third base eligibility I think is is really nice. I don't necessarily buy the player, but I do think he can steal bases, you know, and hit some home runs. So that's that's fine by me. Uh, Kingery is another guy. If I'm low on stolen bases, I don't mind going after. A lot of it becomes at that point in time, like who best fits my needs as a team. Turner for batting average. Um, I think Turner is interesting too because, like, we know he's not going to play a full season, but who can you replace him with during while he's out? And what does the combination of those two players provide for you? I think that's really solid. I feel like I should be more in on Hunter Dozier, but I just haven't been on him yet. I do think he was injured second half of last year, so he could be a guy who you know continues to mash next year. I think there are different options, but um, you know, and even Ryan McMahon, we talked about him on the second base pod. One thing that I found really interested with him is I did discover the um, rolling average graphs on. Uh, baseball savant, which are not nearly as good as the as the ones over on Fangraphs, um, but they are um, they do show you some things. They don't show you barrels, which is what I really want to see is like rolling barrel rate um, per plate appearance. Um, but they do provide um, like average exit velocity, for instance, and hard hit rate. And when you look at those for McMahon, um, they're pretty nice towards uh, the end of uh, the season. Just like, um, you know, his 100 batted ball rolling average for average exit velocity um, is just trending upward really, really nicely up to 92 miles per hour over his last 100 batted balls. He was making a little bit more contact. He's in cores. If Arenado gets moved out, he's got a lot more access to playing time. So I also think he's like a nice little guy. But I think once you get outside of like that top 110, maybe after Guriel, what you're really looking for at that point in time for me is what best fits the needs of your team and your roster. And I do think that there's a, a few different profiles that could fit that um, moving forward. No, I agree with that. Uh, I'm trying to get like my Ramirez, my Mancadas, trying to get one of these early guys as my main targets. I want them starting at third base for me and maybe even being a corner infielder. If I have my choice, I'd rather not have to rely on some, but like I just took Kingry as my, my corner infielder earlier today in a draft and I don't mind it because I, I believe in the upside there 
if you need to go that direction. Uh, the McMahon call is very intriguing because if I knew he was going to get every day at bats, which right now it seems like he will, I think it's big. Um, so, so that's another one I, I don't mind at all because he has a little power speed upside as well. Um, there are some good options at third base. Kind of like I, like you said, it's more like how do you want to piece your team together at that point in the draft. But early on, I really, I'm really making a point at the third base position to get one of my big guys the best I can. Uh, I like some of the outfield depth later. I like some of the the middle infield depth later that I can kind of, or even the, the pitching depth later where I can, you know, sacrifice an early pick there to get the third baseman I want. So that that's where I'm going so far, and I like where it's at. It's also dependent on where you're drafting. A lot of my drafting's been, um, it seems like I'm either at the very, very front or the very, very back. I haven't been in the middle of the draft. So mm-hmm. it allows me to kind of reach for my guys a little more, and that dictates my, my team build a little differently. So I, I've been getting my guys for the most part, but maybe I'm reaching more than others, and it's just the way it is. Get your guys. But uh, that's how I'll be approaching third base this draft season. All right, listener questions for the third base podcast. Kicking it off, Dan Snyder. And this is a good one for you, Toby. Uh-huh. Yuli Gurriel, is is he a one-year wonder? Did he benefit from the garbage cans? Preach, Toby. Preach about your guy. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I, this one's right in my wheelhouse. I, I really like Yuri, uh, Yuli, Yuri. I really want to call him Yuri. Uh, Yuli Gurriel um, a lot. Um, I think he made a major change, which we talked about in the first base, base pod, but he dropped his ground ball rate by uh, 6% um, from 44% down to 38%, which I think is huge for him. The hard hit rate also spiked, but he's not necessarily like a, a power guy, but he makes a ton of contact. You know, his strikeout rate the last three years, 11%, 11%, 10.6%. He's in a really nice place in the lineup. He's a gold glove caliber first baseman, so he's going to play pretty much every single day. I don't think he's going to repeat the 31 home runs, but you know, ATC has him at 22. Steamer has him at 24. I think that's fair, but they also have him as about a 290 batting average, which is very nice, especially from the positions, right? Because you don't have a ton of good batting average or guys at, at either position, really, um, especially later on in drafts. And so he's a guy I really like the profile. I mean, it's really hard to say, you know, how much the banging of the trash cans um, will have benefited uh, Guriel. Um, when you look at his home and away, like he was still fine away from home, 287, 12 home runs in 333 plate appearances. He did do better uh, at home, 311 and 19. Uh, but, you know, again, like the Crawford boxes are right there and he's the type of guy his power plays really well. His, his his power and, you know, his ball to bat-to-ball contact and just hit tool, I think, plays really well um, in that particular uh, spot. And so I don't necessarily think that's out of, um, you know, that's going to be that crazy. There was, there's various reports, right? One saying that it really didn't impact their performance at all. There was another one that looked at them individually and who benefited the most, and Guriel was up there. You know, it's really hard to know, but, you know, again, like uh, most of the banging, I think, happened in 2017, um, not necessarily happening last year as much. So um, I don't know who knows whether it's going to impact or not, but I think Guriel has the skill set to be successful either way. And the, and he's in the environment that to be successful. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Bubba, about the, you know, Astros cheating scandal and how that might impact Guriel? 
Yeah, I'm not too concerned about the cheating scandal at all. I, I believe that they you saw what they did on the on the road as they did at home. So I, I'm not overly concerned on it. What Gurriel did was impressive. I'm not as big on Gurriel as you are. Uh, at his age to do what he did, I like to to see that. <laughs> it kind of kind of came out of nowhere for me, the power wise. But uh, very good profile. Everything like you pointed out makes sense. So if you want to buy into it, I'm not going to stop anybody at all. Um, I'm just not going to going after him. But when it comes to the scandal, I'm not too concerned about it. I'm just going to let that one let that one go and see where it takes us. But I think these guys are going to be just fine. I don't think it'll be the the lack of trash cans that affects their uh, their approach at the plate. And one thing I'd add to that is I think for Gurriel, the drop in ground ball percentage is really important too because he puts a ton of balls in play. Like his walk rate is low, his strikeout rate is low, so he's putting a lot of balls in play. And so a 6% dip in his ground ball rate is going to be a lot more balls in play compared to the average hitter who has a higher strikeout rate or a higher walk rate. And so I think that's why from a volume perspective, the elevated home run total makes a lot of sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Steve Sachs, right? Uh, this one uh, kind of confused me a bit. Uh, AL only Roto keep four dynasty. J Ram Chapman and, and DJ LeMayu all keepers question mark. And then he goes on to say there's no penalty. Uh, Bieber, Taylor Rogers, Kepler, Polanco, Altuve trying to trade some of these guys, so obviously, but the league won't be active for another few weeks. Anyone you'd want at third base is kept, but Donaldson, corner infield slots, and DJ qualifies all over. What are your thoughts, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I think in this situation, so um, you've got four guys. I think you need at least one starting pitcher, um, and I think Bieber is is in there. So I would go Bieber. He's young, no injury history or track record. So he's about you know the safest commodity from a starting pitcher perspective that you could have in a, in a dynasty league right there. You can only keep four. I'd, I'd definitely keep Jose Ramirez for sure. Um, I think Matt Chapman, you keep him as well. Just the age he's, he's younger. LeMahieu is 31. I think he's got like, what is it? Was it a two year contract that he was on? I believe um, so. Yes. Two year, 24 million. So we don't know how much longer he's going to be in New York. Um, and so I think you got to go Altuve. Altuve is two years younger, uh, than LeMahieu. Um, he's going to hit for batting average, like LeMahieu going to hit for pretty similar power. The counting stats should be really good as well. Um, and so that would be my suggestion would be keeping Bieber, J-Ram, Chapman, and Altuve. I also think that's a pretty nice combination of elite starting pitching power batting average and stolen bases. So I think that'll give you a really nice uh, base to build from. So that's what I would do in that particular situation. Yeah. Based on the the names he gave us, those are the four guys I'd keep as well. I think that's a very good start. Passing on Bieber would be very difficult. So I like those four. And then if you've been listening to the rest of the pod, go draft uh, Donaldson if you can throw him in the mix too. So I don't mind that at all, but those would definitely be the four I'd be going with too. Uh, Zach at Zach Roto on Twitter. So many third basements have multiple positions, which we kind of talked about. LeMahieu, Yuli, J.D. Davis, Sano, Kingery, Bregman, Machado, Bryant, Muncie, McNeil, Edmund, McMahon, Dozier, Escobar, etc. Does filling all positions with a third base eligible player or cornering the marketplace, creating scarcity, give a competitive advantage? I'm going to say no, because I think it's going to hurt you in other places, like pretty good, because where you're taking these guys – 
you're going to be passing on other positions with better like overall numbers or pitching or whatnot. So I think trying to corner the third base market might not be the way to go. You know, Toby likes to try to corner a part of the starting pitcher market, elite starting pitcher market. <laughs> That's a little different than cornering the third base market. So I'm going to go with no, but what's your thoughts? Yeah, I would say no. This is similar to a question that was posed last week. I just think you need to be worried and focused on building the best team that you can. And if that includes one of these guys because that fits your roster construction needs, then I think you need to go for it. But if you look at these guys, you know, you're talking about all, every single one of these guys is a top 200 pick, you know, and you are going to have a, you're going to have a lot of holes in your squad, regardless of how you build it. But if you're worried about, you know, keeping something away from another guy, you know, if it, if it fits the needs of your team, then, then please do. But I wouldn't worry about, you know, what I'm doing to impact other guys. And also like, you know, it's really hard to be able to keep an accurate count of, and know like what the other player is planning to do, both projecting what they're going to do in the future and with their existing team. You know, that's just a lot of time spent worrying about other teams as opposed to worrying about building your best team as possible. Like the only time I really think about what other players a guy has is if I'm like close to the turn and I need two positions, third base and first base, I might take a glance to see if the guy who's picking at the turn has already drafted a first baseman and a corner infielder to see if maybe they might be less likely to do that. And so I want to go with the third baseman. That's really the only time that I pay attention to who's been drafted is when, you know, either later on in a draft, maybe it's like a catcher. Like I need my second catcher later on in a draft and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's the likelihood that a guy after me is going to, going to go after a catcher if there's only two that I really want moving forward. That's the only team I really time I really concern myself with who other guys have have drafted, and so I really wouldn't spend my attention and time worrying about drafting players to hurt your competitors. Yeah, no, I agree with you there, uh, Nathan Coleman, regular listener to the show and question giver. These preview shows have been straight fire. Well, thank you, Nathan. Uh, hope my league mates are listening. They probably are. Are there any bottom barrel teams, Detroit, Baltimore, Texas, etc., with underrated value to mine at third base um well first of all thank you very much nathan really appreciate the uh straight fire uh that you are uh providing to our question segment as well uh i would say the two guys that kind of jump out at me after thinking about it is kyle seager who i mentioned before i do think that he is a decent value where he's going in drafts with the hope that he will not be on uh the mariners uh, in a little bit maybe with the braves that would be great I think Evan Longoria, like for deeper leagues, is is somewhat interesting just because he's going to get a ton of playing time, you know, and he's and he's fine. Like he's kind of like Seager of the NL a little bit, um, and just those plate appearances are so valuable. So those are two guys. I mean, you know, Baltimore, it's like Rio Ruiz. I'm not really interested there. Heimer Candelario, you know, could be of interest. You know, maybe a post a post 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 hype breakout or something like that at Detroit. If he gets played appearances there, he could be interesting, but we're thinking pretty deep at that point in time. So I would say Seager and Longoria are the most interesting. Todd Frazier could be interesting at, in Texas, you know, if he does get regular at bats there. Um, but again, like, I don't think he is going, I, you know, he's more of like a four to 500 plate appearance guy, I think, than he is like a play in everyday type guy. And I think Seager and Longoria are still, the play every day type guys just because of the contracts that they're on and the teams that they're on. 
And so I think for that reason, those would be the two guys that I would kind of go after. How about you? I like the, anybody? I, I, I like the long go call quite a bit. I think that's a good one. I kind of hinted at like Miguel, Mikel Franco, but that's more of a risk play. I think Longo's got more of a, a floor involved there. When you talk um, Orioles, Hanser, Alberto, second base, third base, if you're looking for late batting average, that's someone you could take a peek at. And then on the Pirates, it's uh, more of a kind of ride the hot streaks type guy, but Colin Moran has his moments throughout the year, especially on weeks where he faces a heavy dose of righties. He can be a total late round, not even drafted type guy. To keep a keep an eye on for you as well, uh, John Packa at Mean Guy One Draft Champions format question for you: Favorite reserve round targets? We've kind of hinted at these quite a bit. Um, you want to repeat them again, Toby? Um, yeah, I mean Seeger is a guy, Longoria is a guy, Shaw's a guy. Um, you know, Anderson. I wouldn't call him like a. He's not a reserve round target. Uh, I've been getting a lot of uh, Brad Miller, even though he hasn't signed with the team. He had excellent um, uh, numbers just from a power perspective with the Phillies in a short amount of time. So I've been getting a lot of him like around pick 600 or so. Um, Let's see. I'm just scrolling through here. A lot of the guys. Yeah. So Brad Miller, I mentioned it's really weak. Uh, I would like a super late, Stab in the dark is Kevin Padlow on the Rays. I like him. He's a rookie um, who's on their 40-man roster now. Um, a couple other guys, David Bo- Bodie or Boat uh, on the Cubs. It looks like he might have an inside track on that second base job. He's been decent in spurts. Um, but again, like a lot of guys towards the end here are guys that you're going to play on one side of the platoon. But it gets real thin. And so I would just recommend getting a third baseman you know, pretty early on in the reserve rounds in like a draft and hold or something like that. If you're going to, if you're going to try to get a third baseman, I think that's another reason why some of these dual position eligibility guys are nice. You know, let's say you get like a, a Yuli Gurriel and a, a Jeff McNeil or something like that, you know, then you can kind of move them around uh, pretty nicely to fill that third base slot. Even if some, if, if one of them gets injured, so that's another benefit of uh, dual position eligibility, especially around third base. Any addition to of, that list? Yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're more just because it's draft champions. You're hoping they get the call. I think some guys that if they have good springs, will be starting with the club. Bobby Dahlbeck, Boston, be a guy you can take a peek on. He's got some big-time power. Um, another guy, Brian Hayes, he's going to be up sooner than later, I think, with Pittsburgh at third base. He's one of their top prospects. Um, God, I'd love Ty France to play, but I don't know where they're going to play him at. I think he'd be a great spot there in San Diego. Um, and then Matt Duffy, I think, just signed with Texas as well. He could be an interesting play super late uh, if you're just looking for a, a kind of ho-hum type guy with a little bit of upside as well, especially in that ballpark. And that division could be quite interesting. Uh, Rakesh Patel at Unicorn 500 says, on your show, can you talk about Scott Kingry? We talked about Scott. Um, he's not a stat cast darling but was a blue chip prospect and did have a decent year last year. Is there a path for Kingery to blossom into a star? Well, Rakesh, I think he's going to be a big time star this year. I'm a big fan of his. I like his draft day value. Uh, I think he can return much more value than he has if he sticks around all season. And if he sticks around all season, that means he's playing well. So I think there's a lot to like there. What's your thoughts, Toby? Yeah, I definitely think there's the possibility for a breakout from Kingery heading into his third season. The speed helps a ton. I mean, right? Like 
his projection is between like 15 and 18 stolen bases, but there's certainly a, a within a realm of possibility that he goes 2020. Um, and he's been improving. Like the ground ball rate is uh, relatively low, uh, I believe. And he is, um, you know, he needs to work on some quality of contact stuff, but he's improved. And I think that's a really good sign for a young player. So I think that's good. I think the challenge um, with uh, Kingery is that the strikeout percentage is already pretty high. And it feels like one of the sacrifices he needs to make is give up a little bit more contact if he wants to increase his, you know, batted ball quality, unless there's some type of swing change. And I don't see a ton of room for that to happen without the K rate getting above 30% and really hurting the average a bunch because he doesn't have great plate discipline. You know, the contact rate isn't horrible, but uh, I just see, have a hard time seeing the batted ball quality improving dramatically out of nowhere. And so that's, I think, maybe places a little bit of a cap on his upside. But again, if you're drafting him around pick 160 and you get a 2020 season or a 2015 season, even if that batting average is more 230, 240 than it, than it is 250, um, at that spot, I mean, that's a really nice contribution from, from your third baseman. So uh, I, I like him a decent amount. I have him only in one draft. It just hasn't played out. Uh, that way where I've just kind of missed out on him, but um, he certainly uh, provides a, a unique profile, I think at third base, especially late in drafts. Yep. Totally with you there. Uh, D prep at Daniel Preppis, very good player from a projection standpoint, particularly ATC does an extra hundred at bats or so justify the ADP gap value wise, 130 spots between Chris Bryant and Justin Turner. We'll start with that question first. Uh, so basically, Chris Bryant, 100 more at-bats, does that justify 130 spots? For me, no. But I see what his question is. What's your thoughts on that, Toby? Yeah, I agree um, with you, Bubba. I, I think that it doesn't. I would rather have Turner where he's going than Bryant where he's going. Again, I mentioned this, and this was spurred a little bit by this question, is just like Turner is going to miss time. He's not going to get 600-plus plate appearances, but – as long as he's on the IL when that's happening, like you can replace him with a guy. And his batting average the last three years, 322, 312, 290. He hit 27 home runs last year and 550 plate appearances. He's still a very, very good uh, baseball player, a very, very good hitter. And so I'd rather have that with his counting stats than Bryant's uh, contributions when you add in the replacement player that you are um, replacing him with. And so for me, I, I prefer like just from a value proposition, um, Turner, where he's going compared to where Brian is going and what he's uh, what his projection is. Yeah, it goes back to the narrative we've been, we've been preaching quite a bit is take the quality. You can always replace the injuries when it happens and it just makes an even better player. Like it just you add on top of the great results already. So don't try to overthink it in that respect. At least that's how we approach it. Um, the other question uh, Deep Rep had. Also, does Max Muncie have some plate appearance downside given the presumed playing time for Lux and presence of Beattie? Yeah, there that's one of the major reasons I'm not a Muncie guy. I think there's just too many, too many hands in the cookie jar. I thought they'd be in the way last year. They weren't. I don't see how they're not in the way this year. I think you feel pretty similarly, Toby. Yeah, I feel I feel similarly. Um, I just think anybody with the Dodgers who isn't playing well for uh, any period of time that's extended. Um, could lose out on plate appearances. I don't think Beatty's a huge, uh, huge um, risk to Muncie necessarily, but 
you could see a situation where like if the Dodgers get bets and they need to have Bellinger at first base occasionally, like you could see a lot of permutations where Muncie loses some time at first base, which is really primarily where he's been playing. Um, so like, I just think, um, I just think there's, like you mentioned, there's a lot of hands in the cookie jar. Muncie has played well. He's been solid, but I just think where he's going, you know, in drafts, there is plenty of plate appearance downside for anybody on the Dodgers who doesn't play well. So I would, I would steer clear. And you have to, you have to really think that they're going to want to give Gavin Lux a huge run. You'd re- they're not the Colorado Rockies. You think they're going to want to use prospects? At least I would hope so. So that that would hurt Muncie for sure. Uh, Chris Narika, he does great artwork for the pod. Look forward to it on the post tomorrow. Um, hey guys, would you rather target a third baseman or first baseman to fill your corner corner infield spot? What about the utility spot? Third base, first base, outfield. Thanks. So kind of. When you're looking at the corner infield, you're looking at the utilities. Do you have? A, I don't have a preference. I kind of want what's best for my lineup build. Like if it's for corner infield, if all of a sudden there's still a good first baseman over what's available at third base, I'll go first base, vice versa. Same for utility. If it's a heck, if it's a shortstop that's better than an outfielder, a third baseman, a first baseman, I'll take the shortstop for my utility. I'm going for what's best for my team, my lineup build, not so much uh, position specific. What's your thoughts, Toby? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think uh, that's what's great about the corner infield, middle infield, and utility spots is you get to put the best player in that spot. And so I don't think you should be looking for any particular position to fill that in. You got to meet your roster construction needs and draft the best player. And the last question of the night, Taylor at Taylor underscore Bauer 11. Who was the last third base when you would be okay with being your starter at the position? We'll start with that. It's a two-parter. But who would you be good with your last third baseman at the position? Well, it really depends on, like, theoretically speaking, there is no real difference between your third base and your corner infield spots, right? Like, if you happen to get, you know, fill your utility spot already with a really good player, you draft a first baseman, and you fill your utility, your corner infield spot with uh, another first baseman, like, the the last player that you'd be okay drafting as your corner infielder theoretically should be totally fine for you to have at third base as well. Um, I mean, there's a little bit there just because you do need to fill that spot. Um, You know, you, you, you have less flexibility in that spot, but still like it depends on what the rest of my team really looks like. Like if every other position is solid, if I've chosen to get um, a really good, two really good catchers and a really good middle infielder, instead of prioritizing third base because I already have my corner infield and first base slot filled, then, you know, like it should be as good as like the worst player you're okay with being on your team period. But like, I think Brian Anderson is a good example of a guy like where I feel like I should have a third baseman who is that caliber or better. Uh, But really like Kyle Seager, probably in that range uh, would probably be the last guy that I felt comfortable with as my, third baseman um, because I think Travis Shaw is a guy that I want kind of as, as a reserve to plug in. So I'd probably say Kyle Seager is the last third baseman that I would want filling that spot on my team. But again, if I'm in that situation, it means that I want to have really good hitters in some spots that I might not traditionally have like catcher or, um, you know, middle infield or uh, utility spot already, obviously. 
So that's that's how I would respond to that question. Yeah, if we're sticking, if we do just third base, like I, I really want to have someone that from that list I gave earlier, not going past like Mustakas or Sano. But if we include corner infield, I agree. Like Kingery, I, I don't mind going down to even like a Yande Diaz is kind of interesting to me that you could use some of that power upside as well. But um, it gets a little murky. Like I know you got your guys Anderson and guys, I don't mind them. Uh, Ryan McMahon's another guy at corner infield I can de- definitely get behind. I just, um, I guess the way I've been building my teams, I kind of take more of the later rounds and I, I'm good with the outfielders there where I'd rather get the the big guys at the corner infield that, that I know what to expect power-wise in the outfield I can fill in my team needs with. That's been how I've been building. Like what you said, if you built it differently, then you could kind of mix and match the other way. So I'm totally with you there. Uh, part two to Taylor's question. Also, who was the last one you'd be okay with finding a corner? We answered that already. So there you go. At corner infield position, you were talking about uh, Brian Anderson, Kyle Seeger and company. I mentioned McMahon, Kingery, Yandy Diaz. Uh, so that kind of nails that one down for us there. All right. Any final thoughts on the third base position, Toby, as we wrap up our infield positions, get to the outfield next week. Yeah, that is going to be intense, Bubba. The last time we did an <laughs> outfield preview, we covered 90 guys in like three and a half hours. So we'll probably have to break it up a little bit. but Just a bit, yeah. Maybe we'll turn it into seven podcasts of two hours. <laughs> One for every day of the week. That's what the people want, Bubba. It's what the people yeah, it's want. What, we give them what they want. For sure. But uh, it's a fun one. It's another good one in the books. Uh, if you have any questions, hit Toby up on Twitter, at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BDNTrick. Again, give us some ratings and reviews. If you haven't already, most of you guys already have. Uh, lots of great stuff going on out there. And uh, keep your listener questions coming as we'll keep answering away for you. We'll try to figure out the format for the outfield pods here coming up to kind of give you a better idea. Plus, we got BARF this weekend, so we're going to want to recap the BARF draft as well. So lots of talking for me and Toby coming your direction. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. But until next time, Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 22, your fantasy baseball third base preview in the books. Catch you guys later.